Welcome to our course podcast, um, History 390, The Digital Past, Doing Oral History in the Digital Age. And this week, we will actually have another guest speaker. It's uh, Terry Lee Edwards-Hewitt, and she will discuss the Immigrant Alexandria Oral History Project. Welcome. Hi, everyone. So my name is Terry Edwards Hewitt. My pronouns are she, her, hers. And I am a PhD student in cultural studies here at George Mason. Yay. Um, and I teach in anthropology at George Mason. Yay. Um, and then I also teach anthropology at Montgomery College uh, here in the DC area. And then my main job that is not teaching is at Alexandria Archaeology. And we are the uh, both archaeology program. So we do the archaeology, but then we're also the archaeology museum for the city of Alexandria, Virginia, which is part of our nice big Northern Virginia all mushed togetherness. Um, and I, uh, the main thing I do there, although I do, I like to joke, I'm the uh, doodah person. I do this, I do that, because um, I love doing education, obviously. Wouldn't be a teacher otherwise. Um, I also love working with collections. I love getting to identify things, research the history, um, even washing artifacts is my idea of a good time, because um, archaeologist. Um, and But the main thing I've been working on the past six years has been the oral history program. And oral history is very much connected with archeology span and with anthropology, but it is also very much being used, I feel more and more in history. Um, and so it's just been a great privilege to work on all sorts of different things. And we got a grant, we mean the Office of Historic Alexandria, um, which is part of the city of Alexandria. Um, and um, from uh, Virginia Humanities to specifically do oral histories of the immigrant population or of immigrants in Alexandria. Obviously you can't interview all immigrants <laughs> from, a, from a municipality. Um, and so, yeah, so we had this uh, about a year and a half of really intensive oral history, well, training volunteers, interviewing people, getting those transcriptions online. We created a mini exhibit that was in the Archaeology Museum. And then part of one of my jobs is to go out and explain to the public. Um, I'm very into public history. Um, that is like one of my callings, um, is to explain what we find. So whether it's explaining about why we care about three ships that were purposefully sunk in the late 18th century in Alexandria, or why we have been doing oral histories that have been focused on the immigrant community. So telling people what we find and then sharing that information and then hopefully getting people interested in being involved in their community. And also I just wanted to say, and also so people have that connection. Um, and, um, you know, one of the big concerns, one group than another or neglecting other some groups, and it's not now, I believe, not done purposefully, but like, how do you let people know, hey, we have things you might be interested in? Mm -hmm. 
Okay, well, thank you. This sounds all, this is really fascinating. And um, of course, you know, I'm very interested in the um, oral history project. And so could you just tell us in a nutshell, was it the first oral history project focusing on migration and immigration to Alexandria in Virginia? Yes, yes. So we had never done one that had been focused specifically on immigration. And um, it was really important to us because um, Alexandria, I was trying to find um, the percentage, has a, um, my goodness, I'm, I'm blanking on the, the number here, but it's well, oh, let's see, 28% uh, of city of Alexandria residents are born outside of the US. Now that includes adults and children. Um, so, and our oral history program actually goes back to the 1980s, um, but its initial focus was on members of the African-American community because what was happening is there was a lot of development going on and people were concerned that we're losing the history of the neighborhood, we're losing the residents. Right, so in terms of development is coming and then what happens to the people who are there, what happens to the history. But then this ties in to the immigrant stories because some, not all, but some of the neighborhoods where there have in the city of Alexandria and also Arlington too, where there are large immigrant communities, there has been the past 10 years increasing development. So how do you, keep that history, record that history, make that history available. And then also um, much like with the African-American history of the, okay, here are things we need to save, you know, cause you're not gonna save every building, right? Um, and that would be true again for projects that are going on now, but what ones are worth, you know, really highlighting or what aspects? Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, thank you very much. Um, so, and I was curious, you, you mentioned you, um, you know, an important part of your job is outreach. So how did you do outreach for the um, oral history project? How did you find the people you're going to interview? How did it, what were your experiences? Yeah, um, so um, the, we did basically word of mouth. And one thing with doing oral history interviews that's really great is if you're interviewing somebody is if you can then say, hey, do you have anybody else that it would be great to interview? Um, but so that was one way we found interview interviewees. Another way was just literally like going into small businesses um, and asking people. Um, and of course, it's always nice if you have a connection and then that gets into one of the things that, you know, if we were, if when we do the next phase or do, you know, additional things is having somebody connected to that community. Mm -hmm. um, so like, unfortunately I am not fluent in Spanish. So, you know, that meant that other people were doing outreach to that community. So that was kind of like, a two-step process. And that is not the only immigrant community, obviously, mm -hmm. or immigrant language spoken by people. Um, I mean, literally it was like, and, and this is still for recruiting now, even after the initial phase, um, is if I see a newspaper article for one of the Alexandria newspapers or our city employee e-news, and so it's highlighting a person who's a city employee who's an immigrant, 
And I'll email that person and be like, hey, would you like to be, you know, this is what we're doing. I'd really like to interview you about. And then you tell them what you're specifically interested in interviewing them about. Um, we also did um, lang uh, flyers. So this is pre-COVID when there was actually papers people could pick up. Um, but so we did it in the main languages spoken in Al Alexandria. So that's English, Spanish, um, Amharic, and um, Korean. Um, although we have access and we could do it in other languages too. And we would we put these flyers out at um, in the libraries because libraries, and this is one of the things that's really great about Northern Virginia and my sense is the DC area as a whole is libraries are more than just about books. It's really a way to reach people. Um, so we had flyers at libraries, recreation centers, and then any time we were doing any public outreach. So if I'm doing an education program for junior high kids at a library or recreation center, I also had these flyers. And again, the kids could be, you know, and just be like, hey, could you please take this? You know, again, just kind of like getting the word out. Um, but it would have, the thing um, that would have been great is to have somebody who, you know, spoke fluent Korean, spoke fluent Vietnamese, spoke, who, who like that was their job, even if it was only, you know, 10 hours a week or whatever to, to do that outreach, um, which doesn't say we didn't get people, um, but I think um, we could have gotten more. Um, and, and, and again, we did have people who could do those interviews, but for that initial outreach, um, so did you do interviews in languages other than English? Did you actually, did your interviewers, the volunteers, or were most of the interviews in English? Most of the interviews were in English. Um, we did do one that was in Spanish, um, which I didn't do. Um, but, and one of the things, and this is where that personal connection um, makes a difference. So we had a summer intern, lovely young woman, who her family, she was born here, her family's originally from Vietnam. And she was, among the interviews she did was interviewing women who worked at a nail salon and all the women were from Vietnam. So the interview was conducted in Vietnamese. Um, it was transcribed both in Vietnamese and English, but then this person graduated from college, yay. Um, and moved out of the area and the lovely people at the nail salon were like, well, but we wanna talk about our transcripts with this person. And it's not that they didn't know English. Oh, the thing I was gonna say about your, a lot of times people know English, but they may feel not confident, you know? And the like, so the thing I learned years ago was, you know, a lot of times when you're traveling is you try to speak the language people are speaking. And then once they know you're making an attempt, they can be like, oh, I know English or, or you can figure it out sort of thing. Um, uh, you know, so, and, you know, so we want to respect that, right? Because so like, if I was having to, talking to somebody who wanted to interview me, like say I was, you know, in Belarus or, or, or Russia, you know, and, and if somebody is like, oh, well, can we do the interview in Russian? I'd be like, eh, can we do it in English? You know, it's like, I could probably 
probably do it, but you know, I'd feel really, I would feel bad if I mispronounced something. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And you always want the people you're interviewing to feel comfortable, mm -hmm. happy, feel listened to, you know, and respected. And even though I am not going to misjudge anybody for mispronouncing anything, and I'm definitely never, never, because I'm terrible at mispronouncing things in English, which I grew up, <laughs> you know, um, you know, but people don't necessarily know that. So you want people to feel comfortable, to feel secure, you know, you want them to know that they're, they and their stories are respected. Mm -hmm. Yeah, That's no, ab absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking about the project. So what are your, could you just summarize a few, one or two of the most striking observations um, you've had doing this project? Yeah. So um, let's see. Um, the big... Uh, the big observations were that Alexandria, so where people ended up living, mm -hmm. was not the first place that they came in the U.S. Um, and um, so that was just kind of interesting. Um, um, and they moved to the first location that they were in the U.S. because they already had a connection, which makes sense. And I mean, I even know that from my grandfather's family history, right? Mm -hmm. That you, it is easier if you are able to move to somewhere where there are already people from your country or your culture, mm -hmm. right? Um, so yes, um, you know, and um, something I knew, but was definitely um, reiterated was the difficulties of learning a language as an adult. So those who came here as a, somebody under um, 18, public schools, you know, there are programs in place um, to, to help people mm -hmm. learn English. And so you can get that concurrent with, you know, things. If you're over 18 and you're out of the school system, it is much more difficult to learn a language. Um, and so one of the newer interviews actually just did this past summer, a person originally from Mexico, what he did, which I just found fascinating, um, I don't think I could do this, is when he came here, he was just like, I am not going to speak Spanish. And he just listened to the radio mm -hmm. and he only talked in English to people. And again, like I am so, you know, one of the amazing things with teaching here in the in at Mason and in the DC areas, mm -hmm. right? We have students from all over the world. We have mm -hmm. students whose family backgrounds are from all over the world. And a lot of these students, you know, um, have like they're they know two or three languages, right? Um, and I just have the I don't know if I could do that. Do you know what I mean? So I'm very impressed that people undertake such major life changes. And sometimes you, especially for some immigration issues, you don't have that opportunity. Um, but yeah, so I just find that very impressive. Um, but, but yeah, but so the language barriers for those who were older, the other thing is over half of the people we interviewed had actually immigrated had come here at under 18, um, which, 
uh, yeah, and um, four of them had come alone or only with mm -hmm. siblings because that's how they were able to get here. Um, and again, you, you know, you just have the, you know, would I be able to do that, you know, and, and, and just being like very impressed at what people have done. Yes, absolutely. And so what would you say were some of the main challenges? Our course deals with the evolution of technology. Was, did you have any challenges dealing with, you know, digital recording technology, making interviews available online, or was it less of an issue? That's a great question. So the, um, the thing we did is we were able to get a new video recorder. Um, so because I'm an AV geek, which always helps when you're doing <laughs> things, I mean, like for fun, you know, and I've been my whole life, um, uh, you know, so I, whenever possible, we asked if we could do both videotape and digitally record. Um, and the thing is, it is so good to have that backup because we did have, not for this project, but for a, a, just an interview that was done, there was videotape and a digital recorder. And for whatever reason, the videotape didn't record the sound. And so, you know, it, it, and this is back in the day, um, out of college and I was working as a wedding DJ because you know, things you do. Again, AV geek. I, I lived at my college radio station as an undergrad, like seriously went my first week and then was there four years. I still graduated on time, but, um, so, um, but anyway, but so when you're DJing for weddings, right? So this is people's big event. You actually have a backup system with you because so, <laughs> um, so anyway, so yes, yeah, so having that backup whenever possible. So even if you're like recording on your iPhone, having or, or ideally, you know, recording on a digital recorder, then use your phone as a backup or your laptop as a backup. Um, what's interesting, the change in technology is now with Zoom um, has made it interesting because before the pandemic my senses and certainly from everything I read about best practices is you never want to do remote viewing that is the absolute worst you can't develop rapport well you know we another project that we've done is called chronicling the pandemic which includes both oral histories and collections um, and so and we have that on our web page um, uh, which, uh, I was just going to, um, send you just in the chat. So you've got it of the, you know, feel free to, hold on. Um, and, and you probably have this, but just for people who want to read our, uh, transcripts, but yeah. So the thing that we made the decision because of time is we put the oral histories up as transcripts. So we don't, just talking about technology, do not have a like audio archive that's online or video archive online because we allow the people interviewed to edit, edit their interviews. And so what that would mean is before you post it online, then you need to edit the videos 
or edit the audio, which then is totally worthwhile and is awesome. Mm -hmm. um, I, and, and again, to hear people's actual voices mm -hmm. is great, um, but that's also very time intensive. Mm -hmm. um, we do have, and it is my hope real soon now, we have a lovely volunteer who's now gone on to actually go to graduate school. So I got to catch her before she gets swamped with her graduate projects. But she basically created an online exhibit using snippets of approved bits of text so that we can have a, a where you can see and hear people talking. And I always do include in the transcripts whenever possible um, photographs um just so you can see the person um but you know that it, the technology challenge is just how complicated video editing is um you know so like doing video calls has become easier video editing hasn't really yet so that is the big new technology challenge i could see for um, oral histories coming up that needs to change and i suspect there are many people working on that so mm -hmm. but yeah, zoom has still, right yeah but zoom has been great on the other hand there's also going to be people so zoom lets you talk to some people you wouldn't but if you only do zoom then you're also going to miss some other people you know so now that most of the time it's safe to do both you know, do what works best that is going to help you reach um, more people. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I like that combination, that, that fact that that combination is available now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's such a wonderful reflection and so helpful for our course as well. So it's a, this is such good advice. Is there anything else you would like to share with my students? Are there um, maybe any volunteer opportunities if any of the students are interested in, in helping or anything else you'd like to add? Yes, yes. So, um, uh, so both Alexandria Archaeology and the Office of Historic Alexandria, so we're part, and it's really unique. Um, a lot of municipalities have some historic programs. Um, the city of Alexandria, obviously, I'm a big cheerleader for them. I like them. Um, uh, has a, a number of museums, so not just the archaeology museum, although obviously archaeology is the coolest thing ever. Um, but <laughs> I say jokingly. Um, um, but yes, and in fact, we had um, a paid two paid internship positions that had opened up, but those deadlines had passed for the summer. But that's something to keep in mind um, for future years or future semesters. Um, but we do have unpaid ones and we also do take volunteers. So say you're like, I really wanna do something, whether it's doing oral history or, oh my gosh, send me at those 19th century ship records. I want to look at, you know, or, 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 or whatever interests you. Um, you know, if you can also volunteer um, and uh, we're happy to take volunteers like, um, we're really lucky in that we've got a situation. So as a volunteer, if you're like, hey, I can commit three hours a week or four hours a week, but then it's like during the two week, the week before finals and the week of finals, and you're just like, ah, um, you know, you can be like, just email your supervisor and say, hey, 
I've got this coming up because people have lives, right? People are volunteering out of the goodness of their hearts. So if you want a little less formal thing than an internship, um, but I will mention, we also, like I said, we also have unpaid internships um, and that could, doesn't have to be in the summer. I will tell you, and this is true for any, based on my experience, museums, historical societies, things like that. There are way more many people, many more people applying for summer internships than fall or spring or winter intercession. So if there's somewhere that you're interested in that maybe gets a huge number, think about doing a non-summer internship if it if it works for you. I mean, obviously the summer works for a lot of people because they're not taking classes, but um, but that's kind of the one tip <laughs> I wanted to mention. Uh, Okay, well, that's wonderful. That's great advice. And I'll certainly, um, you know, share it with my students. And um, yeah, I think it's a terrific opportunity. And, and one of the things, you know, for people who are interested in history, but they're also interested, say, in publication, or they're also interested in business, um, you know, that Museums and history organizations, it's not just museum workers, right? They need people to do the publications. They need people to run the business office. They need graphic artists. So, you know, um, it's just something to keep in mind that if you've got two things you're interested in, you can do both, um, you know? And so say you're an accounting, I don't know if major. Mason actually has an accounting major, but you know what I mean? But like, if, if business is your thing, but you also love history, there is such a need for that um, sort of thing. So, you know, just again, keep that in, in mind because um, you, you can be, uh, like I said, you can, you can do both things. And like I said, people often think of museums as being just like, okay, I've got a bachelor's or a master's or whatever in history or anthropology or archeology, span but it can include way more than that or volunteer management or events management, you know, nonprofit, uh, you know, so that, that is, that is my, yes, everybody should go into museums. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you so much. That was awesome. You're uh, welcome.